Welcome to the election ride home for Friday, February 14th, 2020. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, Warren goes after Bloomberg following the billionaire's defense of redlining mortgages, a perfect foil for the progressive candidate. Sanders tries to rein in so-called Bernie bros in a culinary union attack. Republicans defend Pete Buttigieg after Rush Limbaugh's remarks. The New York Times peers into Buttigieg's tenure as mayor. Nevada brings a not-quite-an-app app late in the process to its caucus-counting procedures. And Iowa. Always Iowa. 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 It's eight days until the Nevada caucuses, 15 days to South Carolina's primary, 18 days until Super Tuesday, and 263 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Let's talk conflict as Democratic candidates try to stand out from the crowd in advance of Nevada and South Carolina, raise money to prep for Super Tuesday, and be poised to take any advantage that arises from the least thing. Senator Elizabeth Warren has suffered from declining standings in national polls and took third in Iowa and fourth in New Hampshire. This has knocked some of the momentum out of her campaign, but she keeps reminding people that there's plenty of runway left. The nation's Jeet here wrote a thoughtful take on Twitter about Warren largely holding back from internecine fighting. Quote, There's a lot of theories floating around about why Warren has sunk in the polls and underperformed in New Hampshire. Sexism, the Medicare for all shift, some truth to all this, but more fundamentally, her unity message is undermining her. Warren's unity argument has the virtue of being true. She's the one candidate that the two large factions of the party, the left and liberals, can get behind. Unfortunately, the way primaries work, you have to first win and then get unity. Can't reverse that. End of quote. Warren has, however, just recently gone after billionaire Mike Bloomberg. He's a late entry, a very rich man, and isn't engaging in the voting in the early states. But the impetus was the disclosure of comments he made in a forum in 2008, in which he said the end of redlining was one of the causes for the lending meltdown. You can go back. I, I would say it probably all started back uh, when there was a lot of pressure on banks to make loans to everyone. Um, redlining, if you remember, was the term where banks took whole neighborhoods and said, uh, people in these neighborhoods are poor. They're not going to be able to pay off their mortgages. Tell them your salesmen don't go into those areas. And then Congress got involved, uh, local elected officials as well, and said, oh, that's not fair. These people should be able to get credit. And once you started pushing in that direction, banks started making more and more loans where the credit of the person buying the house wasn't as good as you would like. Bloomberg defines redlining incorrectly. He said it had to do with poor neighborhoods. Redlining and housing had to do entirely with steering black and brown people away from buying houses in white neighborhoods. This happened through a conspiracy of factors. Real estate agents wouldn't show properties to people of color outside of redlined areas. White homeowners might refuse to sell to them. And some white homeowners who tried often faced reprisals, sometimes violent. Lenders would refuse to offer mortgages. And black and brown people who bought houses in white neighborhoods were often forced out, again, through violence and other means. Bloomberg's reading is ahistorical and creates erasure, turning systemic racism into a class conflict, but then blaming government for attempting to break through the class conflict too. Warren said yesterday, quote, A video just came out yesterday in which Michael Bloomberg is saying, in effect, that the 2008 financial crash was caused because the banks weren't permitted to discriminate against black and brown people. That crisis would not have been averted if the banks had been able to be bigger racists, and anyone who thinks that should not be the leader of our party, end quote. 
Jeet here notes further about Warren's potential to exploit this weakness in a full essay at The Nation. It's not too late for Warren to ditch the unity message, at least temporarily. The increasing prominence of Michael Bloomberg is the perfect opportunity. If Warren's core message is that American democracy has been corrupted by big money, she couldn't ask for a better foil than Bloomberg. Whatever his merits as an advocate for gun control or dealing with climate change, Bloomberg is a perfect example of our age of plutocracy. He is completely unashamed about using his wealth to buy political office, having already spent well over $300 million of his own vast fortune on his presidential bid." End quote. Meanwhile, one of Bloomberg's former aides and advisors during his time as mayor wrote an opinion piece on CNN about how Bloomberg shouldn't participate in the 9th Democratic National Committee debate, even if he qualifies. He appears likely to pass the threshold as he's now hit the mark in three out of the four necessary qualifying national polls. Eric Wearson writes, quote, Bloomberg is not exactly a warm and fuzzy guy. He has a good sense of humor, but it's dry and a bit racy, meaning it rarely comes out in a public forum, end quote. Racy is never a code for good old-fashioned fun, but for sexism and misogyny, something Bloomberg has received criticism about for decades. He's also been accused of inappropriate remarks and fostering a poor culture for women in his news organization. And this is one of his supporters. Wearson went on to say, quote, Bloomberg gains very little by turning himself into the pinata of the Nevada debate, end quote. I'm not sure this is the best advice. Bloomberg will be attacked for not attending if he qualifies. He might be a lightning rod, especially given that Steyer hasn't received a single qualifying poll, according to the New York Times tracker, with just a few days before the cutoff. Bloomberg will be the only billionaire on the stage and the only viable one off it. The ninth debate is February 19th in Las Vegas. Much had been said in 2016 and is being said in this election cycle about so-called Bernie bros, fervent, usually male supporters of Senator Bernie Sanders who dogpile and harass people who make any statement critical of Sanders or even decline to support him. Many of Sanders supporters say this is a minority among the senator's backers and they don't represent the behavior of the whole. Nevertheless, it continues to be a disruptive part of the election cycle. Many women I know find that any Sanders remark they make on Twitter results in an avalanche of negative and abusive responses and often have to take their accounts private while the wave washes over. Twitter routinely breaks into the real world these days, which is what happened following the Culinary Union of Nevada releasing a candidate scorecard to its 60,000 members that noted that Sanders' Medicare for All plan would end the special culinary health care program that the union offers. The union has a unique program, it runs the healthcare system for members using a trust fund and provides some of the best care in the state. Warren's healthcare approach was also noted in the scorecard as ending the union's program, but as a more gentle transition. Yes, it is possible to find people who like their health insurance in America, but they do typically work for powerful unions or arms of government, like senators and members of the House of Representatives. Yesterday, two top culinary union officials said they had been the target of death threats and harassment in the wake of the scorecard release. A local media outlet, the Nevada Independent, noted, quote, a commenter on a Nevada Independent article referred to members of the Culinary Union who hail from 178 countries and speak more than 40 different languages as, quote, illegals, end quote. The Independent also said, quote, in one email, which the union provided to the Independent, culinary leaders are referred to as corrupt, mother, expletive deleted, and says that it's, quote, time for people like me to go after you, end quote. On PBS NewsHour, Sanders foreswore any supporter who would engage in these sorts of attacks, but he also suggested that they might not even be his supporters. Obviously, that is not acceptable to me, and I don't know who these so-called supporters are. Uh, you know, we're living in a strange world on the Internet, and sometimes people attack people in somebody else's name. But let me be very clear. Uh, anybody 
making personal attacks against anybody else in my name is not part of our movement. We don't want them. And I'm not so sure, to be honest with you, that they are necessarily part of our movement. You understand you know, the nature of the Internet. It's a strange world out there. The union's secretary-treasurer told The Independent after Sanders' remarks, quote, We respect Senator Sanders a lot. We do. We know he's always been great with the labor and everything. But I think in situations like this, he knows what's going on in this country, and he knows this is very dangerous. The union spokesperson said, however, that after the senator spoke up, criticism became more civil and some older abusive tweets were deleted. The culinary union chose to not endorse any candidate, by the way, a blow for former Vice President Joe Biden, who has always had strong union support. Imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag, thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is. Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes, and boom! Two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit tryplexiderm.com today and use code VOICES at checkout. That's tryplexiderm.com, code VOICES. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I know this might come as a surprise to some of you, but former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg is gay. I know, right? I was just talking to his husband about this, and he was surprised too. I have to say, it's a remarkable testament in our current political climate that pundits and politicians have spent enormous amounts of time discussing the electability of a woman, and Buttigieg's sexual orientation has received scant attention. I mean, it's remarkable, but not in a good way, about the amount of time that's been spent discussing women's electability. Until yesterday, you were hard-pressed to find much mainstream discussion at all that looked at whether voters would judge Buttigieg for his sexual orientation. Then, Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient and longtime trolling right-wing shock jock Rush Limbaugh made oogie noises about Buttigieg and his husband Chaston kissing on stage after speeches. The couple married in 2018. Imagining Democrats having a conversation, Limbaugh said this on his show. They're sitting there and they're looking at Mayor Pete. 37-year-old gay guy, Mayor South Bend, loves to kiss his husband on the debate stage. And they're saying... Okay, how's this little 37-year-old gay guy kissing his husband on stage next to Mr. Man Donald Trump? Buttigieg didn't respond directly, but Thursday night in a town hall said, quote, I'm proud of my marriage, I'm proud of my husband, end quote. Joe Biden leapt to Buttigieg's defense on the TV program The View, 
He called it part of the depravity of this administration that Buttigieg's orientation and electability would be criticized. Quote, Pete and I are competitors, but this guy has honor, he has courage, he is smart as hell, end quote. This comes after Buttigieg spoke out strongly in the candidate's debate a week ago against the Trump administration's efforts to spread false information about Biden's son Hunter's connections to corruption in Ukraine. Biden looked notably touched as Buttigieg defended him and his son. Remarkably, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, a staunch Trump defender, told the Associated Press, quote, I think the country is not going to disqualify somebody because of their sexual orientation, end quote. Lamar Alexander, a retiring Republican senator from Tennessee, seen as a moderate, sent a statement to the AP, quote, There may be reasons not to vote for Mayor Buttigieg, but that's not one of them. This is a tolerant country, end quote. And even President Trump had this to say when asked if he would vote for a gay candidate. Quote, I think so. I think there would be some that wouldn't, and I wouldn't be among that group, to be honest with you. I think that it doesn't seem to be hurting Pete Buttigieg, end quote. Trump used to have a number of gay friends with whom he socialized in so much as Trump ever had friends. His shift from generally progressive policies as a registered Democrat to a right-wing strongman pushing anti-LGBTQ policies has meant very few of his former allies in the rainbow defend him. Last year, Buttigieg gave this as an answer about his sexual orientation. Quote, if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. End quote. On more substantive fronts, both Democratic nomination competitors and Republicans have called out the former mayor's relative inexperience, citing his management of a small town of 100,000 as not providing the foundation necessary to be president. I'm Obama is just a community organizer years old, remembering when that charge was leveled at that senator from Illinois. The New York Times produced a lengthy profile today of Buttigieg that digs into his mayoralty, which spanned eight years and ended just weeks ago. The paper quotes Rahm Emanuel, a key figure in the Obama White House and the former mayor of Chicago, widely disparaged for his time in office there. Quote, nobody walks into the office on day one with what they need to know, full stop. Do you have the experience to be self-reflective, to have the capacity to grow and to have judgment? And are you secure surrounding yourself with other smart people? End quote. The only Republican on the South Bend City Council said that Buttigieg had more relevant governing experience than either of the past two presidents, having managed more than 1,000 city employees and reached out to opponents to get things done. A local developer credited Buttigieg's spearheading of a plan to slow cars, make cycling safer, and get more pedestrians downtown as the reason for South Bend's ongoing recovery. Over $100 million was invested in the city as this effort unfolded. Buttigieg has taken it on the chin from the black community for how he managed the police, failing to increase diversity among officers and demoting a black chief. But the Times also quotes Muhammad Shabazz II, a county employee, quote, I have no idea where all this I don't like Pete attitude came from, end quote. The Times writes, quote, Mr. Shabazz used to set up lemonade stands with other community activists at scenes of gun violence to get residents and victims' families to talk to one another. Every time we did one of these things, Pete would somehow find his way there, he said, end quote. Caucuses are just eight days away in Nevada, where people will gather at nearly 2,000 sites across the state and cast their preferences for the nomination. It's a similar process to Iowa's system, and the Nevada Democratic Party have been slated to use an app also made by Shadow, the company that provided software to the Iowa Democratic Party. In the wake of Iowa, Nevada Democrats quickly announced they wouldn't use Shadow and that they had already had backup plans in place. But until yesterday, there was no sense of how Nevada would handle its caucus tallying at all. 
Nevada was ahead of Iowa by a long shot in testing and training on the app and other procedures, but had to throw that all out the window. Now they've got a new app, but it's really a Google spreadsheet and they're calling it a caucus calculator and trying to not use the word app at all. The Washington Post reports, quote, precinct chairs will receive pre-configured iPads purchased by the party and will access the calculator through a, quote, secure Google web form, unquote, the state party said in a memo to presidential campaigns. Results will be transmitted through a secure hotline and verified either through the online calculator or with paper reporting sheets, end quote. Marion Schneider, the president of Verified Voting, a nonprofit that promotes election integrity, told the Washington Post, quote, I think transmitting the results over the internet could probably elevate the risk. Someone could interfere with that if they wanted to sow mistrust or doubt. We would recommend they do not do that, end quote. To pay for all those iPads, the party is asking caucus goers for a $20 donation. While voluntary, some precinct chairs told the New York Times Jennifer Medina even asking made them uncomfortable. The New York Times noted that the addition of early caucuses designed to provide access to the process to more people complicates matters because people at those events mark preferences from first to third and optionally fourth and fifth. Originally, a tabulation app was going to reconcile all that, as in Iowa, Nevada was required by the National Committee this time around to provide raw totals and final state delegate equivalents to improve transparency. This is a common process in some countries in elections called ranked voting. If you follow politics in the Republic of Ireland and were watching results in the election a few days ago, you would have seen the remarkable spectacle of Ireland's leader, its Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, nearly losing his seat. It took five counts for him to win, with each successive count shifting votes from unviable competitors. Quite a scene. The main caucuses are simpler, as in Iowa, with an initial alignment when people arrive, a check for 15% viability, and then horse trading to sort out supporters of non-viable candidates. All that information is recorded and ballots filled out, and then calculations are performed to determine delegates for each precinct. Alana Mounts, the executive director of the Nevada Democrats, told the New York Times, quote, Believe it or not, we feel good, we feel confident, we have a redundancy plan that is being fully evaluated to make sure it is simple, effective, and secure, end quote. Nonetheless, the volunteer precinct chairs are only receiving training via a one-hour webinar. Gregory Miller, the executive director of OSET, an election technology nonprofit research group, told the New York Times, quote, The people in charge have no idea what they're doing, they don't know what to do, and the days are numbered. All of this should have been locked and loaded a long time ago, end quote. Oh, goody. One key difference between Iowa and Nevada? In the event of a tie for delegates awarded from the caucus, Iowa flipped a coin. In Nevada, naturally, they cut cards and the highest card wins. Iowa remains in the news as the New York Times reports that it's likely impossible that correct results will ever be issued in the state due to calculation and other errors. As I noted several days ago in discussing rounding math on the tally sheets used in precincts to track first and final alignments and to calculate the state delegate equivalents used to determine national pledge delegates, there were two different rules on the sheet for different calculations. But then there were other rounding rules that weren't obvious to check. The Times cited this as a problem. Quote, the caucus math worksheet, which caucus volunteers use to record votes, does not offer instructions for every scenario, and volunteers must consult a handbook for advice on the less common ones, end quote. The conclusion, quote, the results were so riddled with errors that we may never know what really happened, end quote. No winner has still been declared. We will never leave Iowa. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash electionridehome. I am also on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. 
I'll talk to you again on Monday. Have a pleasant weekend and thank you for listening. Thank you.